0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Silicon Alley Podcast. I'm William Glass, CEO and co-founder of Ostrich, and of course, your host of the Silicon Alley Podcast. On the Silicon Alley Podcast, we talk to entrepreneurs as their journeys are unfolding and understand what makes them tick, what makes their businesses tick, and give you practical advice that you can use. On today's episode, I have Cameron Sorsby, who is the CEO of Praxis. Praxis is an online bootcamp that helps young people learn business skills and land their first full-time job at a tech startup. The bootcamp covers mindset secrets that many people wish they knew before they'd started their first job and gives folks an alternative to college or for folks that have graduated college but are still trying to figure out what they want to do. uh, This is where Praxis comes in to help you get real-world experience and get you into a job at a tech startup. Now, Cameron actually didn't start Praxis, but is now the CEO. He rose up through the ranks and then ended up purchasing the company and becoming an owner with one of his friends. So very interesting story as it is a little different than some of the other entrepreneurial stories that we've talked about. He was there from day one and helping Praxis grow, but at the same time did not lead the company until August of last year. So I hope that you enjoy today's conversation with Cameron Soresby of Praxis.
1: You got no time to waste But still you hesitate Caught in a circle saying I'll never leave this place Some words got you searching from the bright side Over and over until you're looking on the inside
0: Hey Cameron, welcome to the Silicon Alley Podcast. Glad to have you on. Good to be here. Nice. So you're uh we were just talking, you're based in Denver. How are things out in Denver right now with uh you know, the corona situation?
2: Yeah, you know, it pretty much like everywhere, things are uh locked down and everyone's pretty much staying inside, though it's it's absolutely beautiful out today. So uh made sure to to take a nice, nice walk and, and get some good sunshine in too. So there you uh, go. Just uh <laughs> Hoping, hoping stir craziness doesn't kick in too soon.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. It's crazy times right now. But yeah, taking advantage of the sunshine when you can get it and, and all that stuff. So well, I appreciate you sitting down and want to dive in and hear a little bit more about your story. You lead a very interesting organization, I think is really relevant to the, the audience. So I'm excited to talk about Praxis. But before we dive into that, tell me a little bit about you background and we'll uh, want to hear your story.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So let's see where to begin. In high school and, and into college, but you know, really this this started in, in high school just with the question of what do I see myself doing career-wise long term and everything. Yeah. You know, you, you start to start to think about it around that time, I think. And I think, you know, all the places I've been since then, the decisions I've made have led me to where I am, but it kind of started with that question of like, all right, like what, what do I want to do? And for me personally, growing up, I was highly competitive athlete and I loved learning, but I didn't really enjoy uh, school very much. Okay. <laughs> um, and then I, I think the third thing was like, I, I grew up, Pretty in a pretty affluent, uh, affluent family, and and kind of started to think about like what do I want to do with my life. A lot of that was in comparison with like what my dad did career-wise. He he's a uh, sure. CFO of a national home building company. Okay, and I think you know he he loved his job and he loved he loved working, but what he particularly did never really interest me. And, and so it kind of started from there, like, okay, like, I see, yes, he's successful in, you know, traditional terms, but I saw that, you know, he really enjoyed the work that he did. And I wanted to discover what that is, what that would be for myself. Okay. And so that kind of, I think that was like the launching point of like this career discovery process for myself.
0: Okay. Interesting. So you weren't a big fan of school. It sounds like that structure wasn't something that you were excited about, but you enjoyed learning. So where did that, that joy of learning come from?
2: Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think how it revealed itself in like early years. Like I remember I loved reading at a very young age and...
0: Any, any favorite books as a kid?
2: Yeah. So I remember... A few childhood books like uh, Where the Red Fern Grows. Okay. Which is a book about like a boy in like some rural town and he gets, he buys two dogs and then it's like their whole stories with, with two dogs and everything. The first book I remember like reading over and over again is actually Holes. Do you remember that one? They turned it into a movie with like Shia LaBeouf before he became Shia LaBeouf as we know him <laughs> today. But I remember for whatever reason, I just like read that book probably like 10 times and felt okay. like back to back. And then, um, you know, around like 10 or 11, I think that's when I discovered Harry Potter and got on that kick. I remember at a very early age, I, I took an interest in like current events and politics. And I'm kind of embarrassed by it now because just thinking about like an 11 year old that's like listening <laughs> to like talk radio and keeping up with the news and everything, it's, it's actually really boring to me now. Um, but I think, you know, for, for that time, I think that was my equivalent of like, Hey, I'm interested in like ideas or philosophy. That's what was available to me at that time, you know? So, yeah, that's, I, I just remember being very curious uh, about those things at an early age and like probably, you know, being in a classroom setting, I just never really loved the structure but probably out of one out of like eight classes, I would enjoy, and they were more like history or English classes. Okay. And I would love being in those classes and having discussions. And then it was like, "Hey, you have these homework assignments." I'm like, "Nah, I don't think I'm gonna do those." So <laughs> that's, uh, that was kind of the the pattern. Growing. Okay.
0: No, that makes sense. That makes sense. So had that love of learning, but the traditional structure wasn't uh, exactly what you wanted, and witnessing your your dad and his experience leading as a CFO, this home building company started to lead you down this path. So like, what was that process of, of really thinking about what it was that you wanted to do and um, career wise and just with your life in general?
2: Yeah. So I remember I struggled with it a lot early on because it was hard to picture what i could see myself doing i played soccer growing up and you know probably until the age of like 13 14 i was like oh yeah of course i'm gonna be a professional soccer player like that's (laughs) that's what's gonna happen and then when i realized like okay like that's not happening now i actually have to think about like what the heck do i what the heck do i want to do and through college especially like the first couple years it was stressful because you know you're you're trying to like kind of plan the first 5 to 10 years of your career it feels like at that time you know you're you're selecting your college major what classes you want to take and then yeah. how does that all connect to what you do after college and beyond and i just had no real good sense of like what i could see see myself doing and i think a lot of that is because you know i didn't get a lot of experience or opportunity to explore different types of work and and types of careers so for me personally i think what started i started to build momentum when i stopped paying attention to be like okay i need to plan the next five to ten years or like i need to you know choose this major because it's going to lead to these types Mm -hmm. of tracks and i kind of got off that like conveyor belt mindset and I just started asking myself, like, all right, what are you interested in right now, and how can you get involved in in things that you're interested in, whether that's through work or uh, student groups on campus, or just like going down rabbit trail rabbit holes on online with with different topics and, and things like that. So that that led me to explore politics. I volunteered on on a political campaign. And then by going through that process, I realized I wasn't very interested in going into like formal politics, but I liked being surrounded by other people my age who were also interested in different political ideas. And what was really fun about that volunteer work was like staying up, till 3 a.m. in the morning, having, you know, political discussions and, you know, learning philosophy and talking about different books we've all read and things like that. And so that kind of pointed me in the direction of more like education. And then I started to get involved in, I I did an internship at a nonprofit um, my senior year of college. And then through that experience, I realized, you know, I, I was also like studying economics on my own at that point. And by doing that and getting experience, like, okay, I realized like, actually there's, there's things I don't like about the nonprofit kind of environment and the culture. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was studying more like free market economics. And it's like, that's what kind of sparked my interest in like entrepreneurship. It was, it was first from more of like a philosophical perspective. I never considered myself. I never saw myself as someone who was entrepreneurial growing up really. But eventually just following like, Hey, what am I interested in doing? What types of people do I want to spend time with and learn from that kind of led to, to where I am now eventually.
0: Okay. Gotcha. Interesting. Yes. Yeah. So you had to go through that experience of, of, rather than trying to plan out the next 10 years of your life, chunking it down into, okay, well, what do I want to do right now? What do I enjoy doing? You know, that makes, that makes a ton of sense. So what was that process like of transitioning into something more entrepreneurial and leading you to, to Praxis?
2: Yeah. So I I think for me personally, because like I did not identify with like a strong entrepreneurial spirit from an early age, it was kind of like a series of stepping stones that kind of led to like, okay, like, you know, I don't consider myself an entrepreneur in the sense of like, I have not founded a company, but you know, I'm a business owner and, you know, I'm trying trying to build the company now. But it, it was kind of a series of baby steps. So Praxis launched by our original founder right after I graduated college. He launched the company and I was interning for him my senior year in his previous organization. And he kind of shared when he was uh, in the middle of that internship, he shared his idea for Praxis. And it immediately resonated with me for obvious reasons, learning about my story now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and that was the first time I was like, You know, it it wasn't because like, oh, this is a new company and I would get to come in at the bottom stage. I was just super excited about praxis for the concept. And then through that process over time, it was a year after I actually started to to work for Praxis. And it was through that process of working at a small company, you know, a true startup that's getting off the ground with, you know, there was five of us at the time, through the process of getting that experience, that's where I fell in love with not just praxis because of the, the concept and the model of the program itself, but the actual process of trying to build a company from the ground up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, it's interesting that you note that you didn't found the company, but at the same time you ended up doing all the things that, a, that an entrepreneur or a founder would need to do to help build the company. But what really drew you was finding that, that vision or that, um, that mission that Praxis has that is really what, what drew you in. Yep. And got you excited. Yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, I was still kind of in that, you know, discovery process of like, all right, I just want to follow my interests, follow my interests. Mm -hmm. And when I joined Praxis officially, and this is still true today, probably hasn't always been true for the last (laughs) five years, but it was definitely true then. It's true now. Like I cannot imagine myself wanting to do anything else in the world. And I don't think I would advise somebody, to like, you know, the kind of basic like follow your passion advice and you have to love what you do. I think everybody's a little bit different that that can work for some people that, you know, other people, they're going to be happiest where they treat work as a means to an end instead of, you know, the end itself. Sure. Um, but you know, for me, it just kind of naturally fell into place by going through that like early career discovery
0: process. Yeah. No, I think that's an interesting point to note. You know, everyone's a little bit different. So follow your passion isn't, isn't necessarily uh, the the right way to go. But um, I guess if you are that type of person in the lines, then it can be very fruitful. So what was that process of coming in as one of the first, you know, employees and then eventually working your way up to the rank? And I guess we should, I want to get now actually answer that question, but we should definitely (laughs) define what Praxis is and what Praxis does at some point.
2: Okay. Okay. Yeah. So yeah coming in um, when it was there was five of us when I just started, and I was in the fortunate position where you know apart from the CEO and founder, everybody else on the team had a little bit more clearly defined and structured role okay and and my in my role the first year first year and a half was was really contributing across the board, so I would work closely with our uh, director of Education on actually running the uh, the program itself and working with our participants. I would work with our you know, uh, marketing director on you know the in-person events we're doing and and a little bit of the uh, ad work. And then I would kind of run like the like operations and the application process and, and everything. So by being in a position like I didn't even have a title in the first 18 months, which I was excited about. And so I, I got like, apart from the CEO, I probably had the most exposure to most aspects of the company itself. And then as we started to grow, that kind of naturally put me in a position to like kind of grow into a more formal COO role um, okay. over time. And then as we started to, to scale up the program, that's, that was my position and, until I became CEO last year. Gotcha. Okay, no, that makes sense.
0: So let's take a step back. What is Praxis? What does Praxis Praxis do? And a little bit about like the mission behind Praxis that drew you in.
2: Yeah. So uh, Praxis, it's a startup boot camp for entrepreneurial young people looking to get their career off the ground, and it's it's really positioned as a college alternative for that. You know young driven more entrepreneurial type of person who you know similar to me like unless you like know you want to become a doctor and you're going to pursue you know medical school or you know Mm -hmm. law school or like you're just a tech whiz and like you learn how to code on your own and it's like those are i see those as more like okay like you're a clear fit for this specific type of career and you you probably know that or at least you think you know it at a young age sure, or a younger sure. age than most I think Praxis is really for hardworking, like strong character someone who's intellectually curious but you have no idea what you want to do yet that's what Praxis is built for so how the program works it's a six-month boot camp and then you get uh, lifetime access to our professional development community. And the bootcamp itself, it's all about kind of starting this career discovery process, helping you build specific skills and traits, and then connecting you with an entry-level opportunity at tech startups, working in like sales, marketing operations. So pretty much anything entry-level non-tech is open. And what we really, really emphasize is less about a specific role at this time in your career. And it's more about, hey, if you can get in at a quality company that's, that's still at you know, early to mid stages, mm-hmm. but they have an awesome growth trajectory, you're gonna get a
0: great learning experience there
2: and you're going to have an opportunity to grow with that company long-term if that's what you choose to do.
0: Gotcha. No, that makes a lot of sense, and I think especially right now with just all the things going on with college, and especially you hear a lot of high up folks, folks that have been successful saying, you know, I don't know if I would actually recommend going to college and things like that. I think, I think it's nice that there is that there is an alternative or there are options for folks that maybe don't fit that mold. So Absolutely. you know, this is exciting. So
2: yeah, it's what's what's been really fun over the past six years is when we first started the skepticism around like a building a true alternative to the the traditional higher education model was out of this world but like uh some of our team came from an academic background so they had a really strong network and pretty much everybody in their network was hating on praxis in the early <laughs> days and then you know as, as you would imagine like a lot of uh parents and family members of of applicants or participants. Would put a lot of pressure on them to to kind of prove like, hey, what you're doing is worth skipping out on college and everything. And and how those trends have shifted over the past five six years. It's it's actually amazing to think back of now. Now more often than not, it's parents reaching out to us. You know, they're seeking out alternatives to to college for their kids. And I think we're headed in the right direction. And the big thing is. I think there should just be many different options for for how you start your career. That seems very pragmatic to me. And I think we're we're a great option for a certain type of person.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. It makes sense. (laughs) Having options where all all different people learn differently. People have different interests. And I think it it makes a ton of sense. You know, as you've already mentioned, if you're going down the medical track, yeah, you probably need to go to a traditional, that whole traditional process because there's a lot, it's it's just a different profession than say getting into sales or something in entrepreneurship or things like that where I have a ton of folks that I know that um, I went to college with that ended up in roles that they didn't need we to go to college think for. Of, yeah. yeah. Or didn't even think of. And it's like, you know, started their own stuff that they didn't need to necessarily do that. So it's definitely, I think a conversation and I'm happy to, to hear about what you guys are doing. So if someone's interested in this or, or maybe considering it, what are some of the things that they can expect from Praxis? What are like the results that you guys deliver? Like what, what are some stories that you have from students that have gone through? the program.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the, the primary outcome that you would get as a successful participant is you have six months of education. And, and our primary objective there is that we help you build a really strong professional portfolio of projects and content that you can take with you. But the, the actual outcome is that we guarantee you that you land a job at a, at a growing startup. And so our, you know, we, we work with uh, startups all over the country. Our, one of my favorite business partners of ours that, that I like to uh, brag about, it's, it's called PandaDoc. They do electronic documents. Okay. And they've hired 20 Praxis graduates from the program. And out of those 20, over the past two and a half years, 17 of them are still with the company. Wow, and there's been a lot of growth. So we mostly start participants at Panadoc in uh, either on their sales team or or on their um, like customer success team. And what I'm kind of most proud of is the the growth that graduates experience beyond the program itself. So if you're staying in sales team, pretty much everyone that was in a entry level like sales development rep position has grown has gone on to becoming either a senior SDR or an account executive. And there's been a lot of a lot of participants working there that have moved over to different departments and different teams and, and um you know received promotions and and grown because they've through that work experience they were able to figure out like where their sweet spot is. So that's really exciting. I think that's kind of the the typical path like, hey, we're gonna connect you with a an awesome growing company and, and you're gonna have the opportunity to go in, prove yourself in that first like six month period and then grow with the company beyond that. But the other thing is like our primary job is not to deliver talent to companies. Our primary job is to help you develop a long-term skill set of how to navigate your career. And so we've we've had participants go on to start their own companies. We've had participants, you know, go work at a startup for 12 to 18 months and then you know they they kind of build a individual like freelancing career so they can travel and and just take on a more like entrepreneurial lifestyle kind of all all of the above and we've also had participants go back to college after praxis and now they're better informed of how they're going to use you know college to to kind of start the career they want okay Say most vast majority of people that come in thinking they're gonna like use praxis as a gap year though they they figure out like hey I actually don't need the things that college delivers because i'm already able to do these things on my own so that's awesome
0: that's awesome but
2: yeah there's, there's, a, there's a nice variety
0: okay do you have a do you have a segment of the population that are folks that have gone to college but still maybe want to either career transition or couple years out, maybe a few years out, and just are realizing that the path that they were going down isn't the way that they wanted to where they wanted to end up.
2: Yeah, definitely. So it's probably like 70% are doing praxis as a clear as like a true college alternative. So we have about 30% that are using Praxis. Either they're like very recent college grads and they're kind of using the program as like a more entrepreneurial MBA. Okay. I would say, and then we have um, a good amount of like early, like mid to late twenty career transitioner types as well. My favorite story is a graduate called uh, her name's Jackie Bloom. She was a teacher for six years at a I think she was teaching at a private charter school, and she just realized like, hey, I don't, I don't want to make a full career of teaching for the next twenty years. And she came into the program and absolutely crushed, crushed it. She actually works at Pandadoc, the company I mentioned. Cool. Um, and then she positioned herself so that after the first year and a half, she was able to uh, to kind of get get to work remotely. So now she works uh, works from home in uh, in Oregon. That's awesome.
0: That's awesome. Well, I appreciate you sharing some stories. I guess transitioning back to your story specifically. What was it like to take over the realms of or the helm of of Praxis and like that process? Because if folks are are going through Praxis or their programs, they're with startups. There's opportunities where that might be the case for for them. So what is that? What was that like to go from you know work your way up into being the chief executive of Praxis?
2: Yeah. So you know, w- without ever making definite plans on this, it was it was something that myself and and Isaac, our founder, always had an eye on long term. Isaac is very much a like your typical like strongly entrepreneurial founder type who always wants to be, you know, working on something new. And, Mm -hmm. And I think like one, we had a great relationship and, you know, the more experience I got and started to kind of own the day-to-day of the the company a little bit we kind of had this uh you know just in the back of our minds really so i wasn't at the same time like i was never like preparing for this to happen and when it did happen it it wasn't some like pre-planned event where it's like all right six months from now we're this is going to be a thing yeah it, the opportunity presented itself because isaac started working on a tech so, you know on a software startup and you know the more time went on, it's like, okay, like he's going to spend his time on this. This gives me an opportunity to, to take over the company. Uh, and then we eventually did an acquisition, but you know, so it, it kind of felt, it felt okay. natural, but you know, again, like I think all of the experience that I had with Praxis over that that five-year period and the relationship that Isaac and I built, it led to that being kind of a natural transition. Okay. Um, and so that happened in August. So I've been was at six, seven months. And it's been an, it's been a really, really valuable learning experience. And it definitely has come with its learning curves. Uh, I think the biggest one is just transitioning from that employee to like owner mindset. It's, it's very different. And the, the calculus that you're having to make and like, you know, the decisions that you have to make are just very different being in that position versus even being like a, Executive or like in a leadership position somewhere.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So, could you give an example of of a specific way that you had to shift from that employee to owner mindset?
2: Yeah. Previously, in my role, I was very comfortable making decisions on a daily, <laughs> monthly to quarterly basis. You know, right. I didn't didn't really have to think beyond that timeline. Um, Very much like, yeah, like we, we would discuss as a leadership team, like, hey, like, what are we building towards and everything, but that's really CEO's job to be thinking about just being forced to balance, how does this potential decision impact what the next month or next quarter looks like versus you know, where do we want to be in, in three years, and I guess the biggest, like pretty much all the finance side of everything. Um, so everything from like, all right, what's the current health of the business to, you know, how can we, how do we want to be positioning ourselves to, you know, hit
0: some two or three year goals out from now? No, that makes a lot of sense. That long-term, more long-term focus and really thinking, okay, like if we're going to build this into something that's going to last, what, where are we going to be five, 10 years down the line and what decisions might help us hit a quarter number this year, but might actually hurt us five, 10 years down the line. So that makes, that makes a lot of sense. So I want to transition again here. You mentioned the finance side. A big part of this podcast is also talking a little bit about personal finance. So yeah, <laughs> want to understand, how would you describe your relationship with money, Cameron?
2: Yeah, I, I think
0: I have a good relationship
2: with money. Um, I see money as a tool to have the types of experiences, and, and access to, to people and resources that I want. So I'm 29. So throughout my 20s, starting my career, I think my most influential take on money for myself has been not allowing my short-term earning potential to be the driving factor of my career decisions and and I think what what I've done pretty well is prioritizing working with people that I can learn from working Mm -hmm. on companies on 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 ideas that I find interesting and not making okay I need to get to you know a certain salary number as soon as possible and I think kind of having that long-term perspective has allowed me to become a more valuable commodity on the market. Yeah, that's probably something I would recommend. Just like if you can focus on learning over over earning potential, you know, throughout your twenties, I I think you'll be better off
0: than than what you would be. I like that. Learning over earning. (laughs) Yeah. Have you always had that mindset? Um no, I don't I I don't think I really
2: even thought about it until like I started to get into like career mindset and everything. But you know, thinking about it, I think it kind of came out of that process of like, Hey, I just want to find interesting things to do like that. I, that I started to do in college growing up. I was very conservative with my money. Like I was a hoarder. Like I would have a stash of cash in my drawer and like one of my parents would come in and be like, how do you have all this money? Like you don't (laughs) have a job. Like where's this coming from? And it's like, I've saved up Christmas presents and money. Like, since i was like eight and just like i just would never spend it and i think like on spending in particular i I think i've broken out of like being very frugal for for the sake of frugality i think that's another thing like i would probably tell people like use money as a tool more and don't be like overprotective of it just for the sake of it like but think about like hey where can i allocate these resources to get the, you know, highest return on investment for myself. So like one of the things I did in college was I would spend money on like traveling to different events that I was interested in. Okay. And I didn't necessarily have a lot of money to do that. But again, like I was prioritizing, like trying to find people yeah. that I wanted to, to be around and build relationships with.
0: I like that a lot prioritizing those experiences and it's interesting because i feel like that's a big thing right now especially in like personal finances the ultra frugal aspect of it but yeah realizing that that you need to use the resources that you have appropriately and investing in yourself is one of the wisest ways that you can you can spend that money
2: yeah i've always i i, I don't i'd love to hear what your basic beliefs are you know things that yeah. you kind of recommend here but like and i I say this, I don't have a lot of experience with like listening to Dave Ramsey types and everything, (laughs) but that kind of common belief of like, don't, you know, only spend what you have and like, you have to save and like going into debt is like the worst thing imaginable. You know, I, I think there's, I think that can be very, very helpful. Yeah. Um, for people that have those particular types of problems. But if I'm starting with a young person, it's like, hey, I have a blank slate, I think that's a very that's almost like fear mongering of yeah. just like, okay, like don't become a debt slave, like don't get a credit card, don't do these things. Like, I think you need to start with a more empowering message on on personal finances.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree. I think I mean as you mentioned with practice there's different types of people, so different thing, different people need different things. So if you're yeah. if you have that propensity to spend, then Dave Ramsey might not be a bad person to listen to from time mm-hmm. to time. Um, and if you're not familiar Dave, Dave Ramsey is like the no debt guy. No debt, all right. debt's evil. But yeah, for other for others that can actually be detrimental because you know, using leverage in a smart way is a way that you can go purchase real estate or something like that and own an asset that could put money back into your pocket in ways that right. you, it would take you much longer to just save, 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 save to get to the point to go pay cash for a, re- a rental property. But
2: yeah.
0: you know, there's, there's obviously different scenarios. So I'm kind of in that believer of it. It really depends.
2: Right. Um, yeah. I, in my experience, I think a lot of people are like, are scared to even learn about personal finances because it, it's just like a stress point. You know? oh, yeah. and, and I think with children and growing up, it's something we kind of shelter them from too. So you don't yeah. really learn a lot about like financial literacy until you're like forced to because like, oh, shoot, I got my first credit card and I did not handle it well. Now I got to figure this stuff out for myself.
0: Yeah, unfo- yeah. Unfortunately, that's that's the way that's the way society is. Right. right. We don't teach it in school. We don't. You, if you're lucky, you get it from a parent or yep. a relative. Yep. Um, but at the same time, you might actually get really bad habits at the same time because yep. they no one was taught that. It's not like you, you kind of learn, as you said, by swimming. You know. Get yeah, it's, the it's thing treated.
2: And, it's kind of treated as taboo for yeah. like to even discuss it with as as people are growing up and stuff.
0: Exactly. Yeah, which is a shame. So I'm not sure if that's a part of Praxis, but uh,
2: definitely. Uh. So, like the the cool thing about Praxis, like compared to you know like coding boot camps or there's like sales boot camps out there that are very hyper focused on all right, we'll teach you these specific skills so you can be ready for this type of job. You know, we get to have the flexibility with Praxis where it's like it's as much about your personal and professional development. So like we have weekly yeah. workshops with entrepreneurs and other guests and like that's definitely something we've run workshops on like personal finance and, and all that type of stuff and just trying to present different viewpoints on how to handle that stuff
0: you know yeah that's awesome no i love that i mean yeah everyone's gotta gotta learn and helps to have some guidance because there's some clear stuff that you definitely should not do right maybe the stuff that you should do is a little up in the air but there's definitely some things that you should avoid so talking about those things i think is important. So, awesome. cool. Well, Cameron, thinking about praxis yourself, where you where you want to go in the next five, 10, 20 years, what are your dreams, goals, aspirations? What are the things that you're aiming for?
2: Yeah, so as you can imagine, pretty much all of my focus and attention is on praxis right now. And you know, I'm really working on a on a 10-year timeline, okay. roughly speaking. And we've experienced a lot of growth since since the beginning the last like 3 years we do 100 plus participants a year going through the program are able to help those those customers achieve great outcomes for themselves um, i think the foundations are in place mm-hmm. to build you know a very a high impact company and my focus is like okay how do we take what we have and really start start to grow start to scale this at you know 10x of of what it is and that's mm-hmm. kind of that's my biggest focus i i think getting getting beyond 500 participants a year is is very achievable in the next 3 to 4 years and building a a healthy company at the same time is is one I'm most focused on okay. um, and then you know beyond that very specific goal I want to just keep keep this same mindset as as far as you know how do I you know navigate the rest of my career and and never really lose sight of my priorities are to work with interesting people that I can learn from and to kind of sharpen my skills as far as like company and company building goes, and okay. you know, who knows what that looks like, you know, ten, fifteen years from now. But I'm I'm really excited about the opportunity to to start with Praxis Excel.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. I love that. Love that. So, what advice, Cameron, would you give to someone that wanted to follow in your footsteps? Tips, things <laughs> that uh, that you've learned along the way that you would advise folks either against or things to definitely uh, definitely do.
2: Yeah, um, if you're interested in maybe be, you know being a business owner, or entrepreneur one day, I would say do one of two things: either like just go take the leap right now and be like go start something on your own and just trial by fire, or I would say go find a small company and and essentially like do an apprenticeship with them for a couple of years and, and figure out what you can learn from that experience. And I think that gives you time to kind of discover for yourself, like, hey, what is a company that I would be interested in starting? Or it gives yeah. you time to figure out, like, is this really what you want to do? But I think if you're more entrepreneurial, you kind of have a, a strong sense that you want to start something of your own one day, either do it or go work for somebody who's doing it right now, and then beyond that, like earlier, earlier years, like if you're not at that point where you're not you're not sure what you want to do, I think getting as many different types of experience as you can is is really the most beneficial thing. Figuring out through experience what you don't like doing, I think, is more valuable than you know, kind of trying to pre-plan. Like, okay, I think I want to do this. I'm going to put all the effort in the world to pursue this one thing. And then you achieve it and you're like, oh crap, I actually don't think I enjoy this.
0: Yeah, that's, that's good advice. It makes a lot of sense. And I think trial by fire is a, is a great piece of advice if you're in that kind of mindset, just go for it. And if you're not sure, Apprentice is definitely, definitely a way to go because you learn a ton from other folks. You'll see what works, what doesn't work. Yeah, and there's, there's also so many ways
2: that you can start something on your own without it having to be like, okay, this is where my primary source of income is, is coming from. Like you can do yeah, side yeah. projects. You can do monthly or weekly experiments. Like, hey, I'm going to get this website up. I'm going to offer this type of service or product and we'll see see how it goes. Yeah,
0: I love that. Yeah, try, try a bunch of different things and figure out what sticks. Yep. So, cool. All right, Cameron, what's the best investment that you've made?
2: Oh, uh, I would have... I would have to say fingers crossed, Praxis. <laughs> there we uh, go. <laughs> no. Um be, beyond that, I really would say like there's probably two to three relationships with colleagues or people that I I would say like are a little bit more mentor-mentee relationships. Those have been the most valuable things that I've I've invested in. Those are things they have led, you know, um my co-owner Mitchell started out as friends. And it's like, all right, we kind of had a sense we'd probably want to work together at some point. And, and those those types of relationships, like, there's no question in my mind, those have been uh, best investments.
0: I like that a lot. I like the investing in people and the folks that you're surrounding yourself with. That's, that's great. What would you say is the best and worst part of entrepreneurship, owning your own company, leading a a company? (laughs) I think
2: the best thing for me so far has been it forces you to get out of your comfort zone and like you're either going to grow or you're going to fail, you know, like it's just another level, like a different level of having skin in the game. And, and I think that's really important um, to, to kind of put yourself in in positions where you're forced to, to figure things out and you're, you're forced to learn things on your own has, has been the most beneficial from a personal standpoint. Toughest part think it's easy to say like the stress that comes with it but you know I I think that's just part of what you sign up for and like yeah I think more often than not I I find value in in the stress because it kind of again Mm -hmm. like it it forces you to become sharper and more focused like you know an athlete when the game's on the line like it's not necessarily the clutch gene, I would say, but you're going to have to increase your performance. And then if you're playing against lower quality competition, then, you know, the chances are you're going to perform at closer to their level. Like you're going to do enough just to win. It's hard. It's hard to say what the, uh, (laughs) the toughest thing is. Like I, I like the challenges
0: of it more than anything. Well, I think that right there shows your mindset, right? (laughs) That, that the stress, the things that would usually eat people or folks would say this is the toughest part is actually used in a a positive way as a driving force. Yeah. So,
2: yeah. Yeah. So one thing about is being in in this type of position, I think having to fill different roles before like you're able to fill them with like other, other people yet. So like, Mm -hmm. all right, right now, like, I'm the CEO and one or two other positions on the team mm-hmm. that we know we want to fill when the time's right. Um, so that, that's always tough, like having to juggle like your, what yeah. you should be focusing on that's in the best interest of the company versus what you have to focus on to, you know, to
0: get through different stages and stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. I like that a lot. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, yeah, you've got to do the day-to-day things, or else the long-term vision doesn't matter. Yeah, doesn't
1: matter.
0: (laughs) What would you say is the dumbest money mistake that you've made, Cameron? Buying a new car, no question. Like, (laughs) just did it out of like
2: laziness. Like, this is the easiest way that I have a vehicle to get around. And if like cars are your thing, then awesome. Like, that's cool. But I just don't. I just don't really care what I drive. And I just did it out of laziness. I was like, like, oh, I should have just got some like used car and like, I would have treated it the same and it wouldn't have depreciated and valued <laughs> nearly as much. It's just like, and plus that, that means I had to be in a car dealership and I <laughs> can't stand it. Oh my gosh. It's just the most painful experience ever. So just, just by having to be in the dealership for a couple hours was, uh, I already knew it was going to be a poor investment. And then I was like, sunk <laughs> cost policy. I'm already here. I've already gone through the pain. I'll just do it.
0: There oh, it. gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I can relate. I can I can definitely relate to that. I did something silly. I bought a used car, but I didn't. Do your due diligence? <laughs> well, I did. I mean, I did a lot of online research, but the issue yeah. was, so I spent a year in Thailand teaching English. So uh-huh. I did, I, sold, I sold my car a while before I left. And when I came back, I needed a car. So yeah. I got a job first and then, like for a week, had a rental car, like rode with friends. And then I was like, all right, well, I've got to get a car. Yeah. The issue was I, sh- I didn't do any research the week. Cause I just started this new job. And, but I mean, besides online. And so the first time I showed up in the dealership was with a friend without a car. And I knew that I was leaving with a car. Yep. So like I, you know, it's like, this is silly, but I ended up, they ended up messing up on my interest rate on it. Cause I did, I did get a loan on it, that I paid off super yeah. quick, but yeah, they messed up on it. And the guy wanted me to come back in to come sign for a higher interest rate. And I was like, It's Uh, like, absolutely not. Like, what do you, that's your problem. If you can't sell the loan, that's not my problem. You should have, you shouldn't have made a mistake like that. Yep. So, yeah. But anyway, it's just like,
2: that's one of the few experiences where you're just like, I know I'm going to get screwed one way or another and it's going to be painful. So, yeah.
0: So, I, I, yeah, similar situation. Just, yeah. Not fun. (laughs) Cameron, what would you say is the most frivolous way that you've spent money in the past? Same, same answer. Um, Okay. Yeah, no, I,
2: mean, you- I mean, it is. So I have this internal conflict of like, I, I've moved new cities a couple times, and I just hate the hassle of like, all right, I'm going to move all of my stuff, organize yeah. a moving truck, and all that type of stuff. So when I actually moved out from Charleston to Denver, I just got rid of all my stuff there and then bought new stuff. And at the time, I'm like so excited about it. Um, and then then you come and you go, and then you're like buying all this new stuff. And like, even if you have a good sense of like, all right, this is how much I'm willing to spend. This is how much it's going to cost. It always costs more than you. And you're <laughs> yeah. just like, I probably should have took like half this stuff and just moved it. But yeah. I'm just, with that type of stuff, I'm, I'm super lazy about, like, I just can't help it. And yeah. part, of, part of me is like, eh, I should probably be a little bit better about it. But the other part of me is like, It's it's not worth it, you know? Like it's
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's one of those things that you have to weigh for yourself. Like, is the pain of like organizing moving trucks and all that stuff, is it worth? Yeah. Is it really worth the however however much money I'll save? Yeah, how much I
2: mean, how much is your time worth? Exactly. Just gotta figure that out for yourself.
0: Yeah. What would you say is the biggest challenge facing everyday Americans when it comes to finances?
2: I really do think it's it's just like personal education if you have a sense of agency and responsibility for like, Hey, like Mm -hmm. this is going to impact my life, no matter what, whether I know this stuff or not, then like you should probably invest time into educating yourself. I think that start, like people are not like, we were talking about earlier, people are not, they're not taught at earlier ages to, to how to think about this or just like presented different perspectives and viewpoints on personal finances and stuff but yeah i, I think that's 90% of the problem right there and then yeah. that combined with the stress and anxiety that naturally comes with personal finances then people are even less likely to to just like dive in and learn this stuff on their own
0: yeah makes sense makes sense and also the financial industry kind of the way that we've framed it, at least in society, is that you've mm-hmm. got to be super intelligent to figure out like all yeah. this stuff when it comes to like investing in money and at the end of the day, like, you know, bring in more money than you spend and you'll be in a good spot. Yep. And the more you can increase that gap, then you've got options to invest. Like right. you get that down, you're in a good spot. Cash, cash flow over everything. Exactly. So, well, Cameron, this has been fun. I'll leave you the floor if there's anything that you want to share with the audience, just in, in general about Praxis or or how they can connect with you, those sorts of things? If you're interested in Praxis, you can go to discoverpraxis.com to check it out.
2: It's a great option for young person, ambitious, wants to work for interesting companies, wants to work hard, figure out what they wanna do, be, you know, have some guidance as they start their career. For me personally, I'm probably, I'm most active on Twitter. You just find me at at Cameron Soresby.
0: All right, Cameron this was fun. I appreciate you taking the time and uh, wish you all luck. I'm excited. I'm excited about Praxis and what all you guys are going to do. So yeah, I appreciate it, William. Had a great time. All right. So that concludes today's conversation with Cameron Soresby the CEO of Praxis. What I love about Cameron's story is the fact that he does not follow the traditional path of an entrepreneur in the sense that he didn't go found a company and just drop everything to go start a company, nor did he follow the, I'm going to work on this side hustle until it ends up becoming my main hustle. He actually rose up through the ranks and ended up seeing an opportunity and decided to take over and lead the company. So it's a different perspective of rising up through the ranks in a startup at the same time he was doing the same skills that most entrepreneurs do of building and scaling a company. So that concludes this week's episode of the Silicon Alley podcast. Thank you, thank you so much for being a listener. It means the world to me. Uh, There's actually a couple folks that have actually started supporting the podcast. I haven't ever mentioned it on the podcast before, but if you go down in the show notes, there's a way that you can actually support the uh, podcast on a monthly basis. Any donation that you would make towards the podcast is much much appreciated. It helps get better content, higher quality content, and um, continue to put out interesting stories that uh, provide value. So thank you, thank you so much. If you do donate, if not, no worries. Keep listening. I still love you. This is William Glass, CEO and co-founder of Ostrich. And of course, your host of the Silicon Alley podcast. Have a wonderful day.
1: You got no time to waste, but still you hesitate. Caught in a circle saying I'll never leave this place. Ooh, 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 ooh. Some words got you searching for the bright side over and over until you're looking on the inside. Ooh,
0: special thanks to brett miller for providing his song million voices as the theme music to this podcast special thanks to carolina gancars for help directing and thank you for listening if you have any suggestions for future episodes or future guests to appear on the silicon alley podcast follow us on social media and shoot us a message at silicon alley podcast on all the socials twitter it's at silicon alley pod thanks so much for listening this is a financial glass production New episodes every Friday. You know that feeling of perfectly timing the stock market, making millions of dollars, getting paid what you're worth, and having your boss appreciate you? Yeah, neither do we. It seems like everyone else gets a cut of your hard earned money before you do. Well, don't worry. At Ostrich, we are changing all that. Ostrich is a mobile app that helps you easily set and track your money goals. Joining the ostrich flock means you'll be surrounded by others who also want you to be wealthy and happy. The best part is, Ostrich is free. Sign up for Ostrich at getostrich.com and join the flock today.